Welcome to this edition of Amazing Creation. I'm your host, Fred Johnson. This show is about the credibility of the scriptures as they pertain to the creation of the world and our origins, and in contrast to the dogma of evolution. The show is produced by the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation. That's shortened to TASC, T-A-S-C, a Raleigh, North Carolina group of scientists and lay folks whose mission is to increase awareness of the scientific evidence supporting the plain, straightforward understanding of the biblical account of creation. Evolution is almost universally now taught in our public schools, colleges, and universities as the origin of all of life we see around us. But there are many, including highly educated scientists, who see evolution not only as impossible, but moreover as untenable when made to stand beside the revealed Word of God in the Bible. Today's topic concerns evidences for the origin of life on earth. Today's guest is Dr. Gerald Van Dyke. Gerald retired as a professor at North Carolina State University after 38 years teaching and conducting research in the fields of plant and fungal sciences. He is a TASC board member and past chairman of TASC. Welcome, Gerald, to today's program. Thank you, Fred. It's good to be here. I hope we can help our listeners gain some insights into the reasons why we at TASC are concerned about the creation versus evolution controversy. I hope also we can enlighten our listeners concerning some problems with particular aspects of what evolutionary scientists proclaim and the way they go about trying to support their views. So, Gerald, why is it important to you to discuss the evidences for the origin of life? First of all, Fred, obviously life on Earth had to have had a beginning. But before I discuss the origin of life issue, let me briefly review what the creation-evolution controversy consists of. Evolutionists proclaim that life, as we know it on Earth, has had an extremely long, random, and purposeless journey. They contend that this has all been happening by some naturalistic processes that defy the laws of physics and even defy rational thinking. It's interesting that scientific research is predicated on the assumption that there is organization and purpose in all aspects of our universe and Earth. So our two primary objectives today are to say that evolutionists must first explain how life began and also give details on how that happened. Fred, at this point, I'd like to support our view that science only works because a designer, that is God, put everything into being under well-defined laws. I have here a quote from a well-known evolutionist, Lauren Isley, in which he says, quote, The philosophy of experimental science began its discoveries and made use of its methods in the faith not the knowledge that it was dealing with a rational universe controlled by a creator who did not act upon whim nor interfere with the forces he had set in operation. It is surely one of the curious paradoxes of history that science, which professionally has little to do with faith, owes its origins to an act of faith that the universe can be rationally interpreted and that science today is sustained by that assumption, end of quote. In other words, Isley recognizes that early, well-known, and highly regarded scientists such as Newton, 
Faraday, Maxwell, Kelvin, Dalton, Boyle, Linnaeus, Pasteur, Buckland, Copernicus, Galileo, Pascal, to name but a few, held that science only works because the universe was created by a designer who started it and holds it all together. Of course, that's why, as creationists, we believe that God spoke all of the universe and the earth, including life, into existence. So evolutionists, even before Darwin, were and continue to discuss and make sweeping claims about various aspects of evolution, such as survival of the fittest, missing links, fossils, as being evidences of the long history of life on earth. But seldom do they deal with the fundamental problem of how life began. So, Fred, we at TASC believe the reason they don't discuss this topic very much is because of the many and varied problems with evolution. The origin of life is the weakest and most fundamentally critical argument in the many aspects of evolutionary theory. So what you are saying is that none of the discussions about so-called evidences for evolution are really significant if evolutionists can't explain the starting point. That's right, Fred. If there really isn't any good explanation for how life started naturalistically, then how can evolutionists defend the claims of evolution if it did not even begin the way they say it did? So back to the question of how life began on the Earth. Evolutionists have made futile attempts to devise artificial experiments to reenact how life might have started. Most of these attempts have been made with totally fabricated ideas about the starting materials and the atmosphere they happened in. Fred, they know that the building materials for life are what we call organic compounds, such as sugars, amino acids, DNA, and other compounds. These basic compounds are made up of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen. Therefore, evolutionists assume that some simple compounds, such as carbon dioxide, methane, and water, would be available in the early Earth's atmosphere as beginning components of life. Additionally, they attempt to control the environment these chemicals would have needed for the chemical reactions to occur to initiate life. So are you suggesting that such chemicals and environmental conditions could not have been part of the early Earth's environment? Well, Fred, what I'm saying is they could have been there, and the environment may have been what they propose, but there are several serious flaws in their assumptions. So let's look at the most famous of the attempts uh, to reenact what life on Earth might have been, as done by Stanley Miller and his associates. They went into a laboratory setting, They started by constructing somewhat elaborate glassware equipment that, of course, provided a controlled environment. Of course, not what happened in an open environment, such as a pool of water on the early Earth, as they imagined it to have been. Already, the system is totally artificial. The temperature is controlled, and now they introduce a mixture of chemicals. Methane, ammonia, and water Uh, is what they used, and they presumed that these were what were on the early Earth's atmosphere in the proportions they decided. So they also assumed that no oxygen was in the early environment. 
Of course, all these conditions and mixtures are designed, notice I said designed, to give a pre predicted result. So these experiments are done with no real knowledge of what the conditions were like in the beginning, and then all of the setup, conditions, and materials are decided based on the expected outcome. Now that's not usually what we would call good science, as you know, Fred. Garrett, it sounds like they create a situation where they dictate everything they want to happen by preparing an ideal environment for some kind of life forms to result. That's exactly the point, Fred. I'm reminded of the cartoon I've seen where a scientist is sitting in the lab with all this glassware apparatus in front of him to recreate how life started on the Earth, and the caption reads, quote, this proves that no intelligence was required in the start of life on Earth. <laughs> so, Gerald, what results do they get from these experiments? In some of these experiments, Fred, they produced a crude substance of amino acids, the basic units of proteins. So now some will say, well, doesn't that prove they've shown that life could have started from these simple beginnings? That is what they say. Of course, to report this to the public provides just enough evidence needed to show that life could have happened spontaneously on the earth. So now they can say, let's not question that any longer. Let's move on to the rest of the evolutionary story. That's where we have to keep questioning how they can call this real science. So if I have this right, you're saying that they have more or less set up an artificial situation that they completely control and completely manipulate and get their expected results and try to convince the public that what they have done is legitimate. Well, Fred, that's the way I feel about it. Unfortunately, many scientists will say, now it has been shown that the basic building blocks of life can be produced in the lab, that is, amino acids. So that settles that question. Let's go on to discussions of what happened from there in the evolutionary process and how these chemicals then formed into single-celled organisms that progressively developed into more and more complex organisms until eventually humans were formed. I'm so amazed at the faith so many place in these artificial fabrications. Evolutionists contend that any other explanation of life's origin is not allowed to be discussed because it does not conform to naturalistic processes. Several well-known scientists, as you know, Fred, including Francis Crick, one of the scientists who's credited with discovering DNA, and an evolutionist, has stated that he does not believe there is evidence that life could have formed on Earth. But since he does not believe God started life, he thinks life came to Earth from outer space. This does not help us answer the question of how it started naturalistically in the first place. In other words, if it did come from outer space, how did it start somewhere in outer space? Then there's Sir Fred Hoyle, a physicist, who has said that it is more believable that a tornado flew over a junkyard and picked up pieces of junk to form a Boeing 747 than to believe that life formed on Earth naturalistically. So as creationists, we're always faced with the same dilemma, and that is that science excludes the miraculous, or in other words, they exclude any possibility that an intelligent power, such as God, 
could have spoken life into existence. Of course, they find it easier to put faith in their unknown, but not in the one we put our faith in, and we say the evidence of him is everywhere. As the scriptures say, the heavens declare his handiwork. The idea that life formed randomly and had no purpose, Fred, it really disturbs me because I have witnessed that it can lead to the conclusion that we as humans are just chemicals haphazardly arranged to form a more or less biological mistake. Doesn't that really make you feel excited about who you are? This then means we can make our own rules and basically act out whatever feels good to us, which is what we have seen throughout history and has led to many cases of horrible results. Of course, God has given us free will, but when we put our trust in Him, He shows us that there is purpose for our lives. And that is, according to the Westminster Catechism, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Well, Gerald, it looks like we're running out of time, so are you willing to continue this discussion next time? Yes, Fred. Next time, I'd like to mention some of the results of the experiments conducted and try to prove that, that were done to try to prove life could have begun on Earth naturalistically and how these do not really fit with known facts of chemistry and also what some of the contradictory evidences are for the early Earth's atmosphere. Well, thank you very much, Gerald, and we look forward to our next program with you. And thanks to you, listeners, for tuning in. You can find out more about TASC and some good information about the scientific study of the world from the perspective of those who take the scripture seriously at the TASC website, task-creationscience.org. That's T-A-S-C-creationscience.org. There you can learn about TASC's monthly meetings, which are open to the public, subscribe to the monthly newsletter, and read and download previous articles. Until next time, this has been Fred Johnson for Amazing Creation.